of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. Time for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour on this eve of Christmas Eve. Silly me, I thought this was going to be a quiet news week. I didn't even know if we were really going to do a live show this week. Wow, it has been anything but. So, in the, in the tradition of this program, while a whole lot of people in politics and in the media have been busy trying to inflame your passions and make you take a side, I've come to do something a little different. I've come to give you information that you can use to make an independent judgment on current events and to encourage you to act on that judgment. Now, of course, that'll be a little difficult to do during a government shutdown. But as a businesswoman, you know what? I focus on the numbers. And so let's look at those numbers on this eve of Christmas Eve. 380,000 federal workers are now furloughed, sent home, don't know when they'll again get a paycheck. 450,000 federal workers are working TSA agents and others, but they don't know when they will get paid. And it's two days before Christmas. And what are we arguing over? We are arguing in money terms and dollar terms over a rounding error. It's not even a rounding error. A rounding error would take about 5% of the budget, and this is half of that. We are arguing over congressional, it's politics. It has nothing to do with your welfare or safety. It's just politics. But we'll talk about that. Along with five, that's the number of bad days the Trump administration had this week. Most of them, the result of the president's own doing. Nine years of age. Nine years. That's the average age of a homeless person in the United States. We have one and a half million children who are homeless at any one time in the United States. And that's not acceptable. And I'm going to keep harping on it till we figure out how to fix that. So let's talk about this silly government shutdown. It's the third government shutdown that we have had this year. Huh. So after a while, you kind of shrug your shoulders, right? So... Where are we really? As I said, $5 billion is a rounding error in the federal budget. 
3.4 billion is really the difference between what the bipartisan congressional continuing resolution offered the president and what the president is demanding. So first we had a showdown in the Oval Office with Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, at which Vice President Pence, the guy who really has to go up to Capitol Hill and fix this, was sitting with his hands folded, trying to look straight at the camera without a facial expression. That's a hard thing to do for a longer, for a period of time. Um, And so uh, we followed that with an agreement you know, the, the Gang of Eight and the Vice President and the President all got together and they came up with a continuing resolution that contained no additional money, the 1.6 was still there, for a southern border wall or a slat fence, if you prefer. But it did contain $1.3 billion for, quote, border security, unquote. That was followed by radio tirades by Ann Coulter and Rush Limbaugh and the folks on Fox and Friends that berated the president for giving in, for not standing firm on his $5 billion border wall. A border wall which 80% of people polled say they don't want and we don't need because it will not work. But Rush Limbaugh spoke. Ann Coulter scolded, and the president sent out a tweet saying he would not sign the continuing resolution that he had negotiated. And at that point, we were headed for a shutdown, and that's where we are at this moment. As of, as of Sunday morning, the, uh, the House bet is that this shutdown will last into the new year. That's a long time for a whole lot of people to go without their paychecks. And the irony of all of this, the irony is that the people who, the 450,000 people who are working without being paid, without knowing they're going to get a check on December 31st, okay, those are the frontline troops that protect the homeland. So as almost 100 million Americans travel to be with family and friends, Among those who are required to work but who will not get their paycheck, again, will not get paid on December 31st, are, drumroll please, Customs and Border Patrol agents, FBI agents, Secret Service agents, including the presidential protection um, detail, federal prison guards, TSA agents, air traffic controllers, government contract workers, the janitors and the kitchen staff, et cetera, who keep uh, the uh, government buildings clean and make sure the cafeterias are operating for all the other people who are going to have to pay for their lunch out of money that they're not, you know, a paycheck that is not going to arrive on December 31st. And you know what? Those contract workers are paid their back pay at the discretion of their employers. So it's possible that some of those people will work this whole period and never get paid for it. And that's wrong. It's just plain wrong. And what about all the secondary impacts on merchants and workers in Washington and around the country? Tourism, a vital industry in Washington, D.C. Tourism, things like our national parks, 
So they're all closed. All the Smithsonian museums are closed. The Capitol Visitor Center is closed. White House tours are canceled. During this holiday period when the eighth grade, you know, the classic eighth grade trip to Washington, D.C., whole lots of schools plan those trips for this winter break period. And those kids are going to be disappointed and those merchants are going to suffer a significant financial loss. What about the surrounding communities in Virginia and in in metropolitan Washington and in northern Maryland, et cetera, where the people, the 450,000, many of the 450,000 who are being furloughed actually live? Well, there is an impact there. When you don't know what your when your where your next when your next paycheck's going to arrive, and you know you got to pay the rent or the mortgage on the first of of January, you start to hoard your available cash. And right now at Christmas, that really hurts everybody, from the grocer to the dry cleaner to the big and small retailers who count on this season and on those steadily employed government workers for the profits for their full year. I mean, in retail, you know, the Christmas period is the period in which uh, retailers make it or don't make it for a profitable year. And so yesterday was was dubbed because of the weekend intervening before the Christmas holiday, before the Christmas holiday was deemed Super Saturday. And yet almost a million government workers didn't do that last minute shopping because they don't know when they're going to get paid. And we'll be back in just a minute to talk about what for, why this shutdown, what do we gain? You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. Well, we've made a little progress toward ending the shutdown. The president stopped calling it a border wall. It's now steel slats. Steel slats. Yeah, that's right. Steel slats. It changed over the weekend. It's steel slats, and they have very sharp, pointy tops on them. Okay, which is different from the steel slats um, along the um, California, San Diego County, Mexico border, which has flat steel slats. Steel slats. You know, they're very, if you look at the picture that he tweeted out, they're very pointy. And they remind me a lot of um, the some of the moats and, and structures that were built by medieval knights. But... You know, I think the president said said it better than than I can paraphrase. So why don't we listen to the president's description of his fence? At this moment, there is a debate over funding border security and the wall. Also called so that I give them a little bit of an out steel slats. We don't use the word wall necessarily, but it has to be something special to do the job. Steel slats. I've made my position very clear. Any measure that funds the government must include border security. Has to. Essential to border security is a powerful physical barrier. Walls work, whether we like it or not. They work better than anything. 
We have proposed a steel slat barrier to halt the deadly flow of these illegal traffickers, smugglers, and terrorists. Every day that we deprive our border patrol and ICE officers the resources they need, we put many innocent lives in harm's way. I think what you just heard there is a pivot. It's no longer going to be the wall anymore. Now it's border security. Border security. And steel slats. Steel slats. Yeah, well, but that was before the Ann Coulter Rush Limbaugh tirade. Oh, wait, is he back to the wall now? Is it no more steel slats? Oh, no, we we can refer to them as steel slats, but notice the sharp, pointy tops of those steel slats that make them look a little like, um, you know, like like uh, maces pointed into the sky. Steel slats. The fact is, I don't care if it's concrete or steel. The fact of the matter is, it doesn't work. We have had a border, a barrier on the on the border in in especially well, San Ysidro, largest border crossing in the world. Okay, we have a steel slat fence along the uh, California Mexico border, and we have fencing in areas in Arizona as well. And you know why they don't work? They don't work because. The Mexican cartels, the drug smugglers and coyotes, are very, very good at digging tunnels. Remember how they got El Chapo out of prison and they had to send him to New York where um, we keep him um, high up in a 16-story prison? The Mexicans have tunneled under every single fence we've ever built. And you know what? The, the biggest irony is, I just said, San Ysidro. A hundred thousand people every day cross going both ways. That's a total crossing. It's San Ysidro, south of San Diego. And the problem is there are people smuggled through that border and there are drugs smuggled through that border on a daily basis. And why can we not control that? Because we don't have enough personnel and because they need $300 million dollars worth of scanning technology you've you've seen it um once in a while when they're uh we're on a high alert and they're looking underneath cars for the potential for any signs of a bomb somewhere in the car etc um we have we can detect if we can put that equipment in the hands of border uh security we can stop the smuggling through what are otherwise seem to be legitimate uh, vehicles passing through San Ysidro and the Juarez, um, Citadel Juarez ports every single day. Steel slats will not change that dynamic. Better detection and sensing equipment in the hands of Border Patrol agents for about one-tenth of the expense of the slats will have a significant deterrent and an actual um, uh, uh, stopping of the smuggling of narcotics through our legal border ports. Okay, so at, at a fraction of the cost. So why is this even an argument? And you know what they do in the West Coast here in California because we built this fancy fence? <laughs> they put the drugs on a boat. And they just kind of motorboat around the fence from Baja to 
below San Diego or above San Diego, and they land on a beach and they distribute the drugs. Or, or they uh, they build submarines. They build submarines. You're absolutely right. On the East Coast, that's what they do. They build submarines and they float them up onto the Keys uh, in Southern Florida, and their buddies pick them up, and you know, woo! The whole East Coast has a flood of drugs. How about we put steel slats in the ocean and the rivers too? Well, <laughs> well, well. There you go. No, no, no. There's a problem there. Steel slats. There's it's the a- answer. There's, steel slats. There's a problem, though, Vince. E- ecologically, those steel slats in the rivers and the ocean are are environmentally toxic. Yeah, but at least they have they have the little pointy things though on the top. I get that. No one's going to get through. Um, I would not be certain about that. Walls work. He even said it. Well, walls um, work. Right there. All right. So he, tell he, me. He said he said he talked to um, uh, Netanyahu. And Netanyahu says he's got a 99% efficiency rate with a, with using walls. I don't know how what's that what what the, what the heck that's based on. But walls work. It works in Israel. It, sure, there are terrorists lobbing uh, rockets over the walls, but at least they aren't physically going over the walls. No, they're going under the walls. They constantly have problems with tunnels underneath the wall on the Gaza Strip. Now the Israelis are trying to dig. A um, hundred feet down and put concrete a um, hundred feet down to see if they can stop the tunneling under the under the wall. Netanyahu's actual statement this week on the combination of walls in Syria was, well, he's the president of the United States. He can do what he wants. You know what else could go a hundred feet into the ground? What? Steel slats. <laughs> At a fraction of the cost. You could go 100 miles down with steel slats. Well, you'd have to go 100 miles down because that's the only, that would be the, uh, about the depth where they would stop trying to tunnel underneath. Okay. And then what about the fact that 47% of the illegal aliens in this country didn't come through the southern border or the northern border. They got off a ship or an airplane with a visa. And they just never left. Ask me how steel slats are going to eradicate, eliminate that problem. And those are, you know, the Russian mafia and the Irish Republican Army and all sorts of other interesting and sundry people. Okay. The border security of the 21st century requires a smart use of technology, not a brute force solution that will not work. Or as John Meacham has correctly labeled this border barrier, he's labeled it as the president's vanity project. And as a result of the president's vanity project, a million federal workers and millions of American citizens are being inconvenienced or denied their uh, what they expected to be their Christmas holiday. And you know who is not suffering for this? Congress. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is something we need to change. Now, back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. Well, as I said, 
my theory is if there's a shutdown, Congress shouldn't get paid either. Yep. We need we need a constitutional amendment, not so much the balanced budget that should be, um, but rather we need to say, if, as we do in California, no budget, no pay. If Congress felt the pain, they had to pay for their own airline tickets running back and forth to Washington. If, they, if their families were going to experience a diminished Christmas, trust me, we would not be here. As to the president, well, you know, Melania and Barron had already gone to Mar-a-Lago, and so they're returning to Washington because the president has figured out he can't go play golf. It would be a very bad image at this moment. So uh, he's going to stay in Washington, and Melania and Barron are going to come back so they can have their Christmas holiday together. And so I just want you to know it costs $170,000 an hour, plus or minus, uh, to run Air Force One uh, between Washington and Florida, and both ways for each of these trips. And it uh, also costs um, a small fortune for the uh, movement of the presidential protective detail, et cetera. So a couple million dollars um, are being expended uh, to ensure that the Trumps have a Merry Christmas while 450,000 people are working without a paycheck and 380,000 are home wondering where when they will next see a paycheck. And a Merry Christmas to all. But you know what? Let's talk for just a quick minute, because I really do want to have a conversation with you guys this morning about homelessness. But let's talk just very, very briefly about um, the president's truly terrible week. On Monday, it was General Flynn who was not sentenced because despite what the Mueller um, team had said about his cooperation and his 19 appearances, including in front of the uh, grand jury. Um, the judge ha- who has read the unredacted version of um, General Flynn's activities uh, said that he had, quote, sold out his country, unquote, um, He was, you will recall, Trump's first national security advisor, and the judge actually asked the federal prosecutors whether they could have brought a charge of treason. And they had to go look it up, uh, and they couldn't, under the constitutional definition, bring a charge of treason, but they could have brought charges for um, activity against the interests of the United States. So General Flynn is trying to do more to earn his freedom, although I expect that this three-star who has really offended one federal judge um, who is known to be skeptical of federal prosecutors. So whatever General Flynn did, um, and someday we're going to know, it's going to be more than his $500,000 deal over with as a unregistered lobbyist for the Turks. So then we thought that was all there was going to be this week. Well, then on Tuesday, the New York State Attorney General forced the closure of the Trump Foundation for good, um, calling it a front for the president's uh, 
lavish personal spending and issued an order. He has banned the Trumps, father and adult children, from ever serving on any charitable board in New York City. You got to do something pretty, pretty serious to be as wealthy as they are and be told you cannot serve on a board of a charity. So um, whatever it was, I'm sure we're going to know more. And they're going to dissolve the remaining assets of the trust uh, under court supervision. Then came Wednesday when we learned that the president had berated his acting attorney general, um, Whitaker, for not intervening to shut down partially, at least, or completely, the Southern District of New York's investigation of Trump's violations of federal campaign finance laws. If, in fact, the president of the United States told acting attorney general Whitaker that he should go to tell he should shut down an investigation rather than just yelling at him about it, uh, if he actually issued an order, then what two things happen. One, the questionable nature of Whitaker's involvement in the Mueller investigation moves from he should recuse himself to he must recuse himself. And secondly, if that really happened in the way in which it was reported, then you would have a a clear case of obstruction of justice that absolutely parallels the Nixon charges that forced his resignation. So stay tuned. We're not done with this one. And then the president's impetuous tweet about a complete rollout of U.S. troops from Syria within 30 days following a phone call with Turkey's President Erdogan. You know what Erdogan offered? He generously offered. He'd let the American troops be withdrawn before he attacks and massacres the Kurds, who have been our most stable allies in the Middle East outside of Israel for se- and Jordan for 17 years. The coalition of the willing, the bravest soldiers, the people who have given the most in, in blood and losses are the Kurds. And we are going to leave them on an impetuous tweet to the mercies of, of the Turkish military, one of the strongest in the world, thanks to their purchases of U.S. equipment. Once again, we are going to sell out an ally for a few friggin' airplanes. I'm sorry. Hope there are no kids listening, but that's the truth. The result is that uh, General Mattis um, resigned. You know, he has spent 40 years supporting the post-World War II system of alliances among the members of the free world that has kept the peace and kept antagonists like China, Russia, North Korea at bay for 70 years, 40 of those years while General Mattis put his life on the line. He offered to stay until the end of February in order to uh, assure a smooth transition and to do what he can to mitigate the damage that's going to be done by a precipitous withdrawal of American troops from Syria which puts uh, the Russians and the Iranians in charge of Syria, risking 
um, our hegemony in the Mediterranean, risking um, Israeli security and Jordanese security from the Golan Heights, um, and opening a a uh, seaport, another sea route for through Lebanon for the Iranians, um, and 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 allows 30,000 ISIS troops to emerge from where we had them pinned down like the rats they are. This morning, the president tweeted out that the president that Mattis will be gone on January 1. Uh he's actually tweeted out that uh the deputy secretary of defense will assume the acting title starting January 1st. But Mattis's letter says that he's going to stay through February to ensure a transition. All right. So. I'm looking at an immediate, it just hit my phone. You probably all heard the little ping. President Trump says Defense Secretary James Mattis will leave his post on January 1st. Wow. Yeah, his uh, his tweet doesn't mention that, but whether it's January 1st or February, whatever, it's still too soon. Well, the ambassador to the coalition, Brett McKirk, McGurk has also resigned. Um, Lindsey Graham has called for hearings in Congress um, in the Senate the first week of January. This is a matter of our national security. If we pull out of Afghanistan and out of Syria, we are going to unleash ISIS. And where is ISIS going to unleash its power? On us. On us, and why? Why are we aiding Erdogan in attacking our our best allies? That makes no sense. It makes no sense. It makes us less secure, not more secure. And by the way, by the way, we're going to go over here for just a second, Vince, because we got to ask the question: Whatever happened to North Korea? Do you think that problem is solved? Do you think we want to have the best military minds gone from the Pentagon while we've got a nuclear-armed North Korea? I don't know about you. I'm a little scared. And we'll be back in just a moment to talk about homelessness for the rest of this hour. You're listening to Reimagine America on 860 AM, The Answer. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back. And while Vince and I are having a great time kind of batting this, these issues back and forth, in this segment, I'm going to ask you, because I think we're going to come back to this again and again and again, I'm going to ask you, I bet you have ideas for how we could solve or mitigate our homelessness issue. I mean, I live in Tony Los Gatos, right? And I have to walk on the other side of the street when I walk my dog, because if I walk on the side of the street that I live on, there are all these vehicles of homeless people parked. Um, and some of them um, are um, have, have mental issues. And so, because I'm a pretty small human being, I and so is my dog, I try to exercise caution 
Um, you know, but I have great sympathy for these people. I worry about them. Um, and I see, I see the, the tents along the um, concrete abutments on the freeway ramps on 85 uh, and, and on 880 because that concrete barrier gives them some security to build their tent around. Uh, and it bothers me. We're the richest nation in the world. California is the fifth by itself, the fifth richest nation in the world. And we have the largest homeless population in the country, 134,000 people permanently homeless in the state, many of them veterans. And we need to do something about that. We have 25, on on any given night, there are about three and a half million so-called homeless. That means that means people who are in transitional housing, shelters, um, um, couch surfing, et, et cetera, or you know, sleeping in their vehicles, et cetera, or uh, about half a million around the United States on any given night are sleeping out on the streets in the cold. Los Angeles leads that with more than 40,000 homeless on any given night on its streets. San Jose is seventh with 7,700 people sleeping on the concrete every night. The richest cities have the highest rates of homelessness, and that's because rents are are rising a whole lot faster than incomes. And a temporary job loss can make a family homeless in a matter of weeks. So we're coming up with these solutions that are not solutions, okay? Solutions like safe parking lots. In other words, parking lots that are designated if, you, if you're homeless and sleeping in your car and you come um, to this particular parking lot, well, we've got hygiene facilities for you of some sort um, and, and, and a, you know, a security guard on, on um, duty and you can feel rel- you can sleep here relatively safely. We have tent encampments where uh, in Los Angeles we actually have one in San Jose where they've put up um, metal pallets. Uh, I'm sorry, wood pallets where you can pitch your tent, but you lack um, hygiene facilities, um, and it's quite routine for the cops to come through and sweep some of the less formal tent. Um, areas. So, um, and we have shelters, but we don't have enough shelters. And the shelters are only like overnight on the coldest nights. So you got to kind of, you know, what do you do? Uh, even things like shelters for battered women are, are transitional housing. Like you can't stay there forever. And then you have the problems of, um, you know, surrounding mental illness and drug addiction. And, you know, we used to take the mentally ill and, and institutionalize them in big, in the very, very big state hospitals. And, and while we tried to give them therapy or psychotropic drugs and, you know, get them back on their feet, um, at least we kept them safe from themselves. We kept them housed and warm and fed. And I don't understand how we can talk about improving health care and universal health care if we can't give people universal shelter. So um, while all the things that I've mentioned 
are part of the solution. The problem just keeps getting bigger. So, you know, I'm wondering, do any of you have ideas? Any of you have thoughts about how we could begin to tackle this problem, which is added to that number of 134,000 does not include anybody who lost their home in the Tubbs fire, the car fire, the camp fire, or the Malibu fire. So another 40 or 50,000 um, housing units that were lost, you know, with families. Where, where do we put those people? Uh, right now we've got some in a, uh, at a fairground in Gridley, um, an air base in Marysville, um, and some of them are still camping out in various safe lots in Chico. Would it surprise you if I told you that a professor of anthropology in a Southern California university was interviewed last month by Bloomberg, you know, Bloomberg News, um, as she was sleeping in one of these safe lots with her uh, Dashan Chihuahua mix puppy um, because she can't afford an apartment on a part-time um, professor's salary. She can't afford an apartment in Los Angeles. Shocking, right? Half of the children who go to school in the Ravenswood School District, which is East Palo Alto, live in RVs that are parked on the streets of East Palo Alto. And if you take a look um, in the area around Stanford University, you will see RV upon RV upon RV parked on the street. And people are living there. So how do parents prepare hot, nutritious meals? How do you maintain hygiene? How do you keep your kids healthy so they can learn and thrive? And you know what? As bad as the problem is right this very minute in our own community, it's going to get worse. There are IPOs now planned for Lyft and Uber and um, possibly Airbnb. And if all of those IPOs go through, they may not, given the condition of the stock market, uh, another unforced error by President T, that those instant multimillionaires will further distort the Bay Area housing market and more people are going to be homeless. So the government's had a decade and the problem's only getting worse. How can we solve this problem? Do you have any ideas? I think we need to brainstorm this. So it, it may be that we wait until after the first of the year. We're thinking about running a contest for ideas, um, ground up ideas that could actually be implemented. So if you've got an idea, 888-367-5329. And we'll be back in just a moment with a few closing thoughts. Back to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy on 860 AM, The Answer. And we're back with just a couple of closing thoughts. You know, the, the issue of homelessness has been in the hands of our government for more than two decades now. Um, the only solution that the state legislature has proposed is to force cities to build eight-story tenement-type um, concrete structures 
along transit corridors. Um, they would need to fund those. You know that that's not public money. That's going to be private money. But you you would overrule the city's objections to those things, um, and and that's not a solution. One, it doesn't it doesn't address um, the chronically uh, mentally ill or drug addicted. It doesn't address um, the needs of families, and and so as we transition to talking about. Um, a warm and cozy Christmas. I want you to remember the average age of, an, uh, of a homeless person in the United States is nine years of age. That's wrong. We need to fix this. So we'll come back to this issue. We are going to run a contest for the best ideas. Um, we're going to do some charitable outreach with those, you know, to get those best out ideas. So stay tuned for. Um, an announcement in January. I do apologize. I haven't been blogging much in the last month, and that's because I was a dummy. Um, I lifted a, bo- a, a case of wine by myself and threw out my back, and so it's been kind of hard to sit at the computer. But things will get better in January. Um, we will get all caught up on all of the um, podcasts that are not posted yet to reimagineamerica.org. Um, but you can find them at the 860 um, AM um, website, the, the Answer website itself. Uh, if you go to the podcast there and look at uh, the uh, you know the listing of podcasts, you'll find me and you'll find every single podcast that we produce. So uh, I do promise to get the site up to up to speed, and and in in the meantime. Um, have a wonderful holiday. Enjoy your Christmas. Uh, if you happen to pass a Salvation Army kettle, make sure you put something in it for those people who aren't as fortunate as you and I. Um, and if you have a comment or a topic or something you'd like me to cover, send me an email at joyce at reimagineamerica.org. And I do try to answer everybody. Or you can follow me being crazy on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all small letters, all one word, or Reimagine America Radio Hour. Reimagine America is independent and nonprofit. If you enjoy our independent voice, please consider making a small donation at reimagineamerica.org. And again, have a merry, merry Christmas, and we'll talk about what to look forward to in 2019 when we visit next week. Merry Christmas. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. Together, we can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.